As we continue our series this morning of Do Not Fear, I'm so encouraged by the comments that I've received over this past several weeks about people that are committing themselves not to, to no longer live in fear. There, there is something important that's going through our society today, and that is a concept of, of, of living in fear. More than ever, I'm counseling with people that are dealing in various, with various issues and fear of their life, and it, it seems to be taking control and, and changing the way that we believe and live for the Lord. And so it's incredibly important for us to join together and, and, and lean into the idea of no longer being afraid to live for the Lord. But this morning, before we get into the message too much, I want to stop and, and lay some groundwork so that you and I can understand a little bit. Um, and we have to go all the way back to the beginning of how you and I were created. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, we read, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. How many of you know that there's a couple messages I need to be preaching about that this morning? <laughs> But instead of preaching the obvious male and female he created them, I want to point out a simple fact, that we were created the image of God. As you look at the neighbor sitting next to you, some of you may say, well, look at what sin has done, <laughs> right? He, God might have could, could have done a little bit better. But that's, that's actually not really what we're talking about when we say God, we were created in the image of God. Uh, some scholars would suggest a, a better interpretation is, of being made in the image of God is identifying God in his triune being. As simply put, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. As we look at who God is in his trinity, we can identify several different aspects of who we are. First of all, God the Father represents simply the, the, the eternal uh, soul of, of God. It, it represents the eternality of our, of our soul. God the Son represents God in physical form, and God the Holy Spirit, well, represents his spirit. The, the, the soul is, is the eternal true identity of who we are. The, the spirit is the seat of our emotions and our intellect, our thought process. And of course, each and every one of us know what our physical self is. It's that is that thing that you look in the mirror every day and you, you wish you could do something about. <laughs> well, that's just me, okay. Um, but I, I want to point out this to you, that, that as we see God uh, in his triune being, we also can recognize something different, that you and I are made in his image. That means that you and I have a triune being of our own, that we have a soul an eternal part, our true identity, the, 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 the portion of who we are, who we were when God knew us before he even created us. We have a soul. We are eternal beings. But then we also have a, a, a body. We have a, this physical representation of, of who we are. But, but more importantly, we also have a, a spirit, 
that our spirit is the thing that sits in between our body and our soul that, that reads and directs who we are based on the information that the other two portions of our identity receive. Our spirit, our intellect, we think, we have a thought process, we feel. Descartes, a famous philosopher, um, you may know him as Descartes, um, says this, I think, therefore I am. And that's our self-consciousness that we think, and so we can, we can see that we are something because we think. But in reality, there are three aspects of us, the body, the soul, and the spirit. And it's, in, it's critical that we understand this in our discussion about fear because as we look at what fear is, we can really bring it down to a definition. The definition of fear is an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain or a threat. So when God tells us not to be afraid, yet we are created in his own image, that means that we have a spirit that is capable of sensing and feeling fear, then, then we have to identify really what is God telling us not to do when he says don't be afraid. Because if emotions are, 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 are part of our, our spirit sensation, what does it really mean anyway? My, my son, Crew, and I, he's, he's one, he'll be two in, in December. We, we've developed a little game that we like to play. And the game is called Let's Scare Mama. We love this game. It's a lot of fun, okay? Here's how you play. We figure out something that'll scare mama, and we do it in front of her, okay? Really simple. We score every time we try, Okay? And one of the things that we've, we've learned how to do is, is I can hold crew and throw him up in the air and then catch him. And it never fails. Mama always gets scared. Awesome. Awesome time. Racking up the points. But uh, the other day, uh, maybe a few weeks ago, I, I realized something is that um, that's okay that, uh, that uh, uh, Mama's scared. But in, in that moment, I, I threw crew up. And I threw him a little too high, okay, uh, above the ceiling fan, okay? And, and it's also one thing for, for crew to get scared because I could tell on the way down he was scared, okay? Because he started moving and yelling, and he had time to yell on the way down. But it's really bad when dad gets scared. Don't worry, I caught him. I caught him, but dad uh, decided not to play Let's Scare Mom for the rest of the night until I could kind of recalibrate uh, my, uh, my arms there. Uh, that was enforced by mama. But we read passages like 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, where it says, for God has not given us a what? Spirit of fear but of power, love, and self-discipline. You see, you notice here that Paul, the writer of 2 Timothy, doesn't say that God hasn't given us fear, but instead he, he writes, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. And so right here we see that there's this kind of tension 
that we see between a spiritual fear and a fear. Now, fear can be useful in our lives. There's a lot of Sooners fans this morning that you're afraid that uh, the season's over, that uh, it's not going to be worth watching a game or going to, going to a game. That fear is useful. I love the Sooners, but I didn't watch all the game yesterday, okay? <laughs> but, but there's other fears that you, you could be scared because, um, because your, teenage, your teenager is driving and you're sitting in the passenger seat and somebody cuts in front of you. And the only thing that you can do is say, Jesus, take the wheel and reach for your imaginary brake. Okay? That's a scary moment. There's other scary moments where your fear is useful. That moment whenever you're burned by the stove and you realize that it really hurts. And so from then on, you're very cautious. You're even afraid that you would get burned. And so you're very careful around the stove and, and how you touch things. And so that fear develops into a lesson whenever your, your child reaches up, you can slap their hand away or push them aside so that they themselves don't get burned. It's that fear that develops that sense, that wisdom in your life. Fear is, is useful. All of these emotions are useful in our lives. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that we are to fear God. That means an awesome reverence of who God is and what God has done. Now, you and I aren't, to, aren't meant or designed to cower and be afraid or hide from God, but instead we recognize the awesome power that God has and we respect it. See, fear is useful. It's even commanded that we're to fear God. And so the tension that we live in is the useful fear, the, the fear that we are capable of and that we should have that helps our lives and the spirit of fear that controls our lives and really what the fear that we're wrestling against, the, the fear that we shouldn't fear is the fear that seeks to control who we are and keep us from living in obedience to God. That's the fear that you and I are commanded not to have. And so as you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14, verse 22, for our, our principal text this morning, as you're turning there, I want to give you a little bit of background on the book of Matthew and, and, um, and really our text this morning. Matthew is the first uh, book of the, New Testament, uh, of the New Testament, and it's called one of the four gospels. It's one of the four accounts of Jesus's life while he was here on earth. But Matthew is also known as a synoptic gospel. And a synoptic gospel is an easy way to say that it's a as-seen-together gospel. Now, the synoptic gospel is different than the four gospels. A synoptic gospel is Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Because it's more than likely scholars believe that Mark was the very first gospel that was written. And Matthew and Luke went to Mark and used Mark's gospel as a guide to write their own account. That's why many of the parables and many of the stories and accounts that are in those three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are very similar in nature, but they're told in different perspectives. 
And this morning, it's important to understand because we're going to shift at one point from Matthew's perspective to Mark's perspective. But if you read, if you read Matthew starting from the first chapter all the way through until the 14th chapter, it demonstrates Jesus's divinity. And it does it in many ways. We see the sky part and we see the Holy Spirit descend on Jesus like a dove. We see Jesus speaking and teaching with authority. We see Jesus uh, 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 walking up into evil spirits and the spirits trembling in fear and him casting evil spirits out. We see him perform many miracles like healing the sick and, and feeding the 5,000. We even see Jesus taking command and control over the very elements of nature. And he does this all in front of the disciples. And so each one of the disciples have had a front row seat to some amazing things that Jesus has demonstrated his divinity in so many various ways. And that's where we start in Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Jesus has just fed the 5,000. And here we go. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy winds. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came towards them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshiped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. Oh, Father, Lord, in this moment, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive your word. Lord, that some way and somehow, Lord, Lord, your voice would pierce through the storm in our life. Lord, and it would call us out on, onto the water with you. Lord, that we would focus with everything that we have in you, Jesus. Amen. The first thing I want to point out today in the message is faith faces the storms. Faith faces the storms. Think about it. Verse 22, Jesus instructs his disciples to go out into the boat and go ahead that five-mile journey across the Sea of Galilee. It's only five miles across the northern tip. This was nothing. It was just an easy pass-through for, for the disciples that were experienced fishermen. But you see, the Sea of Galilee is, Galilee is situated inside of a valley that 
storm clouds can come over the crest of the hills, and it, it creates a, almost a whirlwind so that storms can rise up at any moment. We see that happening several times throughout scriptures, that in that moment's time, storms pop up in life. And it's interesting here that Jesus and his foreknowledge understood and knew that he was ordering them out into the Sea of Galilee before a storm was going to hit. Jesus didn't wait for the storm. He didn't teach his disciples that, that oh, we should, we should wait until conditions are right. Wouldn't that be nice? Let's just, let's just wait until things are perfect, God. He, he, he didn't tell his disciples about the storm. Hey, guys, I want you to know that I want you to go ahead and go out there, but you're going to face a storm, okay? He just said go. Instead of teaching them to wait until the conditions are right or, or even to avoid the storm or be even forewarned about the storm, Jesus said to go, and the disciples in their obedience left. They went and they got out into the middle of the storm. I think it's important to see what Jesus is, is speaking to the disciples and teaching the disciples and, and really what Jesus is speaking to your life and my life this morning. There's some of you that have been really wrestling in life because you believe that all the situations and circumstances that are surrounding you right now, you're in the middle of because you've done something wrong. Somewhere, someone has told you that if your life isn't all together and if your life isn't perfect and if you aren't just living a wonderfully blessed life in, 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 in comfort and relaxation and in perfect peace of your mind, that you've done something wrong. You haven't really trusted Jesus. But that's not really what we see reflected in, in this scripture, is it? We see a group of disciples that are being obedient to to the will of Jesus, their master. And they set out and without warning, a storm hits. Some of you need to understand this morning that you're not in the middle of the storm because you're out of God's will. You're in the middle of the storm because you're in God's will. You're in the middle of everything because God has a purpose and a plan for your life that includes that storm. And it can be unpleasant and it can be hard to deal with. And it, and it represents real and certain danger. This wasn't an imaginary storm. This wasn't an emotional storm. This wasn't a financial storm. This was a storm that threatened their very life. And yet, it was Jesus' will that they go out into it. But here in this moment, we, we turn and we, we reflect not on Matthew's point of view, but what Mark wrote about this passage, because we see Mark in chapter 6, verse 48, he says, Jesus, he, meaning Jesus, saw they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the waves. Verse 23 of Matthew chapter 14 tells us that Jesus went up the hillside by himself in a deserted place to be alone with God. But as he walked up that hill, he could look, and he looked back across the Sea of Galilee, and he had his eyes on the disciples the entire time. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you something, that in the moments where you set out 
in obedience to the Lord and you're doing the thing that God has called you to do and you feel like you're doing it all alone, you feel like he's not there and you feel like a storm has come over you and, and there's nothing that you can do and you're rowing vigorously and you're doing everything that you know uh, how to do. You're paying the bills and you're, and you're loving your kids and you're going to church and you're serving and, and stuff seems to still be happening. I want you to know this morning that Jesus still sees you. He knows you. He's watching you. His eye is on you. He never once took his eyes off of you. Amen. And he never once took his eyes off the disciples that day. Amen. And he moved out to intercept them. You see, Mark's vantage point is so important to us, to you and I. Because it proves true what Jesus said, that he would never leave us. He would never forsake us, even until the end of the age. Young person, mom or dad, you're not alone. He's with you. Even as you face the storm in your faith. Number two, I want to point out that faith follows God. Faith follows God. Matthew 14, 23 says, after sending them home, he went up to the hills by himself to pray, meaning Jesus. Night fell while he was there alone. I want to point out the simple fact that Jesus himself secluded himself in a deserted part, a remote part, so that there wouldn't be any distractions and he could get alone with God. Now, on the surface, this seems normal, it seems natural, but, but think about what this really is for a moment. Jesus, God made flesh, needs to be alone with God? Needs to, needs to commune with God, needs to, needs to separate himself so that he could hear from the master. He was the closest to God. He, he was dependent upon God. He was God. He had divinity running through his veins. But we see time and time again that Jesus separated himself and got alone with God. How much more important is it for you and I to find ourselves alone with God? to walk out in obedience, to separate ourselves and be with God. See, Jesus was probably a pretty busy guy. As a matter of fact, he was very busy, and that's why it was so hard for him to be alone. Privacy came at a premium for him. That's probably why he had to do it in the middle of the night when no one else was calling on him or depending on him. He had to sneak away and he had to find his moments with God. You and I, we, we find it hard sometimes to find the time to spend with God. What an insult sometimes that is because you and I need so very much to be alone with God. If you find yourself living in fear, if you find yourself dealing with trouble in your life, if you find yourself trying to avoid time alone with God because you don't crave it, we, we need to use that as a, as a, as a marker, a, a warning flag in our lives that says, be careful. It's getting dangerous because you don't feel like you need a relationship with him. 
It's so important that you and I lean into those moments to, to carve those moments out of our schedules, to really even put it in our calendars. This is my prayer time. This is my, this is my uh, time in the Word. This is my time where it's going to be by myself, secluded. All, all the kids are in bed, and, 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 and I'm just, all the lights off are on the house. I've got a, a lamp on my desk, and I can sit, and I can pray, and I can intercede for the church, and I can find time in that moment to be alone with God. Ladies and gentlemen, if we aren't getting alone with God, there's danger on the horizon. There's danger. It's time that you and I understand that the weeds of fear in our hearts, when we are separated from his light and separated from the watering of the word in our life, will grow. Those weeds of fear will grow. And you and I have to tend that garden and have to watch out for that to be right in our life. Number three, faith focuses on Christ. Verse 27, but Jesus spoke to them at once and he said, he made three statements, watch this. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Then Peter called out to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you and I'll walk out on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked towards Jesus. You see, the disciples in that moment were scared because they saw Jesus walking on the water and they didn't recognize him. And I'm gonna be honest with you, I'm not even worried, I'm not even upset that the disciples didn't recognize Jesus walking on the water. I'm sure that there's some scholars and some pretty holy Christians out there that would say, why didn't these people recognize their Lord and their Savior walking out on water? I will tell you why. Because it's quite unnatural, it's supernatural to see somebody walking on water. When's the last time you saw somebody walking on water? Never, I think, okay? See, the, the, the point I'm trying to make here is this, is that it's okay not to recognize the presence of God moving into your situation or circumstance because God will do a new thing in your life. He will move in ways that you've never seen. He will do things that you've never seen before. And it's okay to, to not recognize what God is doing in that moment. But watch this, something all changed when God, when Jesus opened up his mouth and spoke three, three phrases to them. Something changed, and I want to remind us this morning that something must change when we hear the sound of our Savior's voice. John chapter 10 verse 27 tells us that his sheep recognize his voice. Do you recognize his voice this morning? Do you recognize the feeling that you get inside of your heart whenever he speaks life and encouragement to you? Do you recognize that still small voice that rattles the eternal depths of your heart? Does your heart burn when he speaks to you? God can speak and then everything changes. I want to show you the three, the three statements, the three encouraging statements that the Lord gave his disciples. First, Jesus tells them, do not be afraid. In that moment, 
of their fear when they looked out and they saw a figure moving across the waters. They had never seen Jesus move in that. They've seen him command nature. They've seen him heal uh, people. They've seen him feed the 5,000. They've seen him cast out devils and demons, but they've never seen somebody move across the face of the water. I want you to know that that can be a scary moment, but God was planning on doing something new in their life. And perhaps the only reason that they were in the middle of the storm is so that Jesus could demonstrate his ability to them. Not his ability to them, but his ability to save them. This morning, I want, I want you to understand that as Jesus said, do not fear, it was so that they could not pay attention to what they were seeing, but listen to what they were hearing. He opened his mouth and told them not to fear so that they would know it was their master. Young person, mom and dad, God wants to speak into your heart and your life today and perhaps you're going through a situation or circumstance where you don't even recognize that God is already in your presence doing something working on your behalf and you don't even see him. You don't see him. Things are all messed up but he's already there working in your life. And he wants to tell you this morning, don't fear. The second encouragement that he gives is take courage. Take courage. You see, do not fear is not the same thing as taking courage. Not fearing is the absence of fear. But taking courage is quite different. It's leaning into the confidence of who is speaking. We are not called not only not to fear, but to have confidence in the one that holds our destiny. Young person, mom and dad, we can have confidence in spite of everything that is going on all around us. We can have confidence. We can lean in to the idea that we can trust him in the middle of our storm. And finally, he, his last phrase he said was, I am here. You see, in the Bible, when we read all throughout the Gospels, we find out that wherever Jesus is happening, a miracle is somewhere in progress. It either just happened, it's in the middle of happening, or it's about to happen. And young people, mom and dad, I need to tell you something, that you are in the presence of the Almighty God, and that there's something that's about to happen in your life if you just hold on just for a moment. If you lean into him and you have your faith into him, he can do something that you can't do. He can walk in water, and he can do even more than that. He can call you out to meet, in, to meet him in the middle of that storm. He called Peter out in the middle of that storm, knowing he is here and his pre presence is here should bring an expectation with, with us that something great, something wonderful, something miraculous is about to happen. But you and I sometimes fall into this temptation of believing that, that God doesn't really want to interact with us. That for some reason we serve a, a God far off in a way. You and I are, are, are sometimes tempted to fall into this idea, this pattern of thought that sure God sees us, sure God's with us, but he's not gonna do anything to intervene on our behalf. But that's not what the word says. 
That's not what Jesus is teaching us through this moment. And that's not what Jesus is teaching the disciples. He teaches that he doesn't immediately calm the storm. What's greater than calming the storm? It's calming the storm in our hearts. Because there were three separate storms going on in that moment. Yes, there was a physical storm with the wind and the waves and the water. But there was a spiritual storm. A storm that was wrestling between the tension of trusting and believing the wind, what the wind and waves were doing and trusting in the almighty God that was standing in their midst, beckoning them to come. And there was a, a spiritual storm, a soulish storm. A storm of, of their faith. A storm of fear. You see, fear sinks in the middle of the storm. But when he saw the strong wind and waves, meaning Peter, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord! Save me. You see, Peter had seen Jesus perform so many miracles. He, he had seen him demonstrate his divinity. He had heard his teachings. He knew it. But in that moment, there was a tension and the tension broke. And Peter, instead of looking into Christ, he looked at the fear. He looked at the circumstance. He looked at, at the wind and the waves. You and I are not called to look at the wind and the waves. We're called to look at the wind maker. We're called to look at the water walker. We're called to look at the provider. But in this moment, fear sinks. The second thing is fear is skeptical of God's word. Verse 31, Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. Isn't it amazing? Even with a little faith, he says, you have little faith, Jesus said, and, and, and why did you doubt me? Even with a little faith, Jesus still heard the cry and reached out and saved Peter, pulled him out and put him on the boat and immediately the wind and the waves stopped. Immediately everything was calm. You see, here in this moment, it's not about the size of Peter's faith that Jesus was talking about. I've always kind of been confused in that moment because Jesus in one account in, in chapter, I believe it's 17, talks about the size of faith needs to only be as, as big as a mustard seed. And if you're a farmer, you know that that thing is even, it's hard to see when it's in your hand. It's small. But if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you can speak into a mountain to be moved and it be cast into the sea. You're kidding me. And so when Jesus called out Peter and said, you have little faith, it wasn't the fact that Peter, it wasn't about his, the size of his faith. It was the fact that he allowed that small amount of faith to be supplanted by his great and growing fear. 
Christ's legacy, if you lean into it, if you trust in Jesus, even with a little faith, he can still reach down. He can still save you. He can still pull you out. But what we're going for right now, what God is calling us to do is much more than just simply believe that he can save us. We're believing that God can call us to walk on the water. I don't want to just be pulled out of the sea and put on the boat. I want God to call me to walk on water. It's time that you and I be spiritually mature beings and begin to step out on faith because that day two people believed in God. Two, two things were obedient to God. Peter obeyed God and walked on water and the water obeyed Jesus whenever God called Peter to walk on it. God has control of the situation and the circumstance, but God allows you to come when you trust and believe in him. This morning, would you stand up all over, the all over this house with me? You see, there are people every day that come and go in this church, and perhaps you're like Peter. You believe that God is with you. You believe that God has called you to live with your faith overcoming every fear. Faith over fear. But it can be so easy sometimes to allow your fear to overcome your faith. It can be so easy sometimes to be a disciple of Jesus, to truly believe and trust in him. But when the storm hits your life. You look around at your circumstances instead of your provider. And you begin to sink and you call out and Jesus saves you. And perhaps it's turned into a vicious cycle of fear in your life. You get scared, God delivers you, you celebrate. You get scared, God delivers you, you celebrate and so on and so forth. But Christ's legacy, that's not the kind of life God has called us to do, to live. He hasn't called us to live in relative peace. He hasn't called us to live in comfort. He has called us to face the storm, to be obedient in relationship to him, to not have a spirit of fear, not be controlled by fear. He's called us to walk on the water. This morning, I want to invite you and I want to encourage you Make it your prayer. Make it your commitment to live a life committed to faith over fear, that you are on top of the water and not below it. Let's pray this morning. Oh, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would allow your Holy Spirit, the one that in creation moved across the face of the deep, the one that even now is moving across the face of the deep in our lives. Lord, to minister, to draw us, God, to beckon us out, out from the wind and the waves, God, to place our feet, Lord, firmly on faith in you. Hallelujah. With your head still bowed and eyes still closed, I simply wanna ask one question. If you this morning are dealing with a situation and circumstance and you feel like you're drowning but you want to commit to the Lord and to yourself that you're going to live a life 
faith over fear. Would you just simply slip up your hand so I know I'm praying with you this morning? Thank you, thank you, thank you, yes. Thank you, yes. Thank you, yes, thank you, I see you. Thank you, yes, I see you. Looking for one more moment. Oh Lord, you've seen these hands go up all over the room. In this moment, I pray God that you would be with them in a powerful way. Lord, that you'd reach out your hand, Lord. Lord, that you'd draw them out of the, the water, Lord, and set them up on top of it, Lord. Lord, our prayer this morning is that not only would you calm the storm in their life, but Lord, that while the storm is still going on, Lord, that you would cause them to walk on the water. Lord, that their faith in you would be secure, Lord that they wouldn't look at the storms, they wouldn't look at the circumstances, they wouldn't look at anything else but into your lovely face. Lord, let them trust in you, their provider. Oh, hallelujah, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. Christ's legacy, if you've raised your hand and you'd like to be prayed for, would you simply slip out and come down? We'll have our uh, facilitators and prayer partners come and pray with you. But... I want you this, this morning and for this, the rest of this week to constantly remind yourself that you're going to live faith over fear.